1: To episode 223 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Now, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, you may remember the special 200th episode that I did just a few months ago. And if you remember that episode, I had somebody write in, Manny's Mom. And Manny's mom rode in to talk about her favorite episode, and her favorite episode was one that I had done for Andy's 18th birthday. And it actually had made me feel really good at the time because I had been a little nervous about that one because, of course, I got very emotional. Gwen was pretty much in charge, and I cried throughout. And I thought, perhaps I got a little too emotional. But Manny's mom loved that part of the episode and actually made me feel a little bit better about it. I do want to take one last opportunity to talk about next week's live stream. Now, we still haven't decided whether it will be on the 26th or 27th of December because I am recording this way back in November, even before I did the Thanksgiving live stream. But look on social media, follow Gwen at yourgriefguide.com. go to her Facebook page, Your Grief Guide, the Always Andy's Mom Facebook page, the Always Andy's Mom Instagram page. Even the Always Andy's Mom YouTube channel, you'll be able to see when that will be airing. But the thing we need you to do now is we need you to give us some input again. So again, the easiest way may be to do that through social media. Do you have a tattoo that you got to honor your child? Did you get a special toy for yourself? Did you take a trip somewhere? that honored your child to just pamper yourself a little bit. Those are the things that we're going to be talking about next week are tattoos, toys, and trips. So if you did any of those things to just help in your grief, let us know about them. Maybe it can give others some ideas on things that they can do because this time of year is really, really hard and pampering yourself can make it just a little bit easier. Right now though, I need you to sit back and enjoy listening to Lavinia, Manny's mom. Thank you so much, Lavinia, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm grateful that you're allowing me to speak today. Oh, I'm very happy to have you. So any of you watching the video, which I know isn't a lot of you, will see that she is in her car. Or you might be able to tell that she is in her car. But This is a very good space for you to be talking to me from, isn't it? It is, because
2: this is where I, ha- I always have my therapy appointments, and I just feel
1: a lot more relaxed and true to myself. To yeah. speak. I think it's just great because it's a really a safe space for you. and. I want you to feel like you are in a safe space and be able to be private and just open as you are able to be. So I love that you're doing that in your car today. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, I I, as I mentioned, typically my husband and my
2: son are home. My husband you know, and I both work from home. So I don't really want them to hear sometimes the depth of where I go because that yeah. does trigger them. And, and
1: so it's just better off that I just stay in the car
2: regardless of the weather
1: right right so uh anyway why don't you start out by talking a little bit about your relationship with your husband because i think that's where we wanted to start this one today so a little bit different so not starting right away with manny but with your relationship so why don't you go ahead yeah yeah no um so we've been together
2: for 37 years um we i met him when i was 17 he was 20 and we we were set up by kind of like by a cousin of mine. And one of the things that I really, truly loved about Rudy, which you don't find with a lot of people, is that he's just strong in his faith with God. And again, we're not saints. We were raised Catholic. But the one of the first gifts he gave me, I think the first week, was the Footprints Plaque. Oh, and really? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Wow. And I had my background was like I was working for the one of my first jobs when I was like 13. I worked for the church. I was the receptionist. I went to a Catholic school. He did, too. So there was that,
1: again, connection, I think, with about God, again, early on in our relationship. I better pause for a second because not everyone knows the footprints plaque, I bet. But it is beautiful plaque. My grandmother always had a copy of it in her house. And yeah. so what it is, is it's someone at the end of their life. And they're looking back at their life and they're walking along the beach and they see at most points in their life, two sets of footprints, meaning that God was walking alongside them throughout their life. But they question God at the end and they say, "But when I look through the hardest parts of my life, I see that there was only one set of footprints. Why, when I was at my worst, would you leave me? And then the answer is, it was then that I was carrying you. Yeah. So it's just very, very powerful that God doesn't leave you in your worst times. God carries you through your worst times. So yeah. I felt like I had to clarify that because not everyone probably knows that plaque and that story. And wow, I just get emotional even thinking about it now. It means so much. It's just so much different to me now than it was as a kid growing up looking at an, at grandma's house. You know, yeah, yeah,
2: and the fact that you even just gave me the details of it again kind of just made me. I was just like, "Wow, that's right. That that's what it says." And I didn't even think about it. Thinking about obviously the journey that I've been on, but okay. yeah, yeah. So we were young. I came from a strict upbringing, and 13 years later, again, we finally got married. And even at that point, we had we still had differences and stuff. That five years later, li- finally, again after. Working through things and knowing that we wanted to work on a relationship and be with each other, then we decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put 150 percent in and let's start a family. And, and our firstborn was Manny. Yep. Oh, and this, wow. yeah, his so his real name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel is how we pronounce it, which means God is with us. Mm-hmm. And he was named after Rudy's, my husband's favorite uncle, who had passed away from cancer. And my mother-in-law, who goes to church every single day, twice a day, if necessary, is the one who said, maybe instead of Manuel, why don't you call him Emmanuel? So that's how we got his name. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love that. A time to, to this, yeah. So then we had Manny. He was actually premature, one month premature. He was supposed to be born in August, right by my husband's birthday. But instead, on a hot day in July, my blood pressure went to 202 over 110. And so I'll, yeah, yeah. And so I had to get induced and sure enough, I get induced and he's born the next day, which was my birthday. Wow. Yeah, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he was four pounds, 11 ounces, but he was able to go home after three days. is for, for the most part, pretty healthy. Fast forward, he's a happy kid, always smiling. He's smiling in his eyes and we, again, maybe the only one thing, he didn't pick up his head right away, but he was talkative. He was bright. He was using the mouse by like three years old because he would look at his TV shows. And I I mean, I was shocked that he could, it's like the map, I guess like you could scroll or whatever. (laughs) And he was talking complete sentences by like two, two and a half. I mean, he had just such a bright, bright, bright future and just such a good energy. And when he was two and a half, sorry, wait, when he was two, that's when his little brother came along and he was born in June. And then when Manny, they got along and and Manny looks more like me, Mello looks more like my husband and we felt set, we felt good. And then in 2008, Manny started having black and blue that i noticed and i it wasn't going away um it was i was like oh maybe he just fell and then i remember in the retrospect that he was getting like a fever every so often and then one time it was like he was perspiring but it was cold outside like it, i was like why is he perspiring so fast hmm. forward december 2008 was christmas and he had a fever and it wasn't going away right away melo ended up getting the fever But that went away, tried two different kinds of antibiotics, went into the doctor, they did blood tests, and he got diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia on January 6, 2009. And so that journey obviously rocked us completely. But according to the great medical staff, they had to kind of calm me down sometimes because I'd be taking Manny's temperature every half hour. I was like one of those moms. And they had sometimes they had to say, mom, it's okay. You don't have to take your temperature every half hour. It was just trying to get used to the life that we had to have. I mean, if I don't know if he, I know, you know, but the, the treatment for a boy at three and a half is three and a half years of chemotherapy and two, and he had two years of radiation. And so the first year he was 75% inpatient because his white blood counts. Every time they have chemo, it would drop down to zero. And it would take weeks,
1: weeks for his white blood count to recover. And when that... Well, that's not common. Most of the time, they come back within several days, for sure.
2: Yeah. Now, his took weeks. So that's why we were inpatient for a good amount of that first year of uh, of treatment. And he ended up having MRSA. He ended up having E. coli. He ended up having a, a fungal infection that whole first year. So it was rough. It was rough. But... We made it. We made it the best that we could for him at home um, with Rudy and Mello and Rudy having to work and and go into the city and having babysitters for Melo, who was only a year and a half at the time. And while me and Manny were in the hospital, and and sad to say, I only went went home to take a shower twice a week. (laughs) I wouldn't shower. Yeah. I didn't really want to shower at the hospital, but We again made it the best we could. We tried to make it fun. The nurses were great. They were played along. It was like family after a while because they just, you know, maybe it was my energy or maybe it was just Manny. I don't know. But it it really just became a family along with the nurses. And then it was time for maintenance. So maintenance after the first year of the treatment, they give you oral medication so he can actually go back to school. And... That was, again, another test of his white blood counts. And so many times for like a good six or seven months, they couldn't get that adjusted right. So finally, when they found out, they start you at 100% dosage. And again, it was too toxic for him that they were like, okay, I guess they consulted with a, a, a larger health system. They said, all right, sure, just try 5% dosage. Sure enough, 5% dosage did it. And he was able then to go to school. But if you think about it, and I think about it in retrospect, think of the first six or seven months having to go through all that adjustments as far as the medication, how toxic it was becoming to him, right? Mm -hmm. Because I thought about it, I was like, this can't be good because if he's not being covered and his white blood counts keep on dropping and he's not able to recover from it, then it's got to be like
1: toxic. I mean, toxic already. Right. Sorry. Right. We we need it to be toxic, right? It needs to be toxic to kill the cancer cells. But, right. you know, it's that balance of killing too many of the good ones, too. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't think,
2: and during that time, we're very isolated. We're staying home because we had you know, some friends and family that we trusted and, and understood. And by the way, like, we all come from a family of you know, people in the medical profession. My mom's a nurse. My sister's a nurse, my brother-in-law's a pediatric nurse, my other sister-in-law's a nurse, and my other sister-in-law. And so right, they were able to understand and help us at least in, in the respect of knowing what we're sure. going, but not the family emotional part. They definitely didn't sure. know that part. So fast forward, we're now in maintenance. Mani's May- able to go to school. Mello's old enough to go to preschool, and things seem pretty good, and yeah. But then we realized that he didn't really have too many side effects besides his white blood count throughout treatment. But it was cognitive issues that he was having yeah. and mm-hmm. noticed it through school that he was able to retain certain things or he wasn't able to write a certain way or read certain things. When, again, I'm shocked because he, before three years old, all the accomplishments that he was able to do developmentally yeah. and now we're at school and we were shocked it's a great school good people but i think they never really got exposed to somebody like manny who at this point he's on me and it doesn't even look like he's on treatment but he's he is cognitively not able to um be at the same level as his peers so he had to repeat kindergarten. We had to get like a whole IEP. We had to go through the school system. And I'm advocating for him. I'm not working. I'm working. We're not working at this point. And my husband keeps on tracking to his job. And we pride ourselves on being professionals and educated. And again, trying to help him figure out how to subtract it was a big thing. Just to subtract 5 minus 1, 4 minus 1, or, or 0 minus 0. That actually he got. But, um Certain things with regards to math was difficult. Even just reading was difficult. So they put him in IEP, put him in special education. And at first we were like, that's okay. We're going to go through this. Then we get to fourth and fifth grade and we want to challenge him a little bit and try to get him off of the IEP. But also too, it's like, hey, isn't there a precedence here? Isn't there somebody in the school system who's gone through this before you can recommend other things that we need to do for him. And then I soon realized it was probably all about budget. They don't want to say what they need to say because they're tied, which
1: is sad to to think about. That's so funny. I've just had a similar family. It, It wasn't that their child went through chemo. Their child has a mosaicism for Down syndrome, meaning that there's a portion of the cells are Down syndrome cells, and a portion of them are just regular normal cells. And because of that, has... Certain delays, for sure, but not Uh, fully. And so they're trying to keep in the mainstream classroom as much as possible to challenge as much as possible. But the school just desperately wants to put the child in just special ed all the time. And the parents are like, I just, when we're just not going to challenge him enough there. But it's that balance of trying to give a fifth grade or first grade education skills but not give a fifth grader like no skills, which is oftentimes what ends up happening with the special ed classes. They're not working on reading at all. They just think that's just never going to happen. Yeah. When that your child can do it, they're just not going to be able to do it at grade level. It's, right. it's very challenging, very yeah. challenging for families. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It was getting to that because
2: it was starting to get to the point where and especially was it was at a public school system, they just teach what they need to for that grade. And even though Manny didn't have the basics of, like, subtracting 5 minus 1 or 3 minus 1 down pat, they still were teaching, you know, U.S. history, whatever it was the subject was at that fifth grade level. And at that point, my husband and I were like, we got to do something else. And we went to an IEP meeting, and I forget what happened. I think we weren't trying to ask, a, I don't know if we were talking about out of district or not, but the next thing you know, we get this letter from the district saying they had something about an attorney. And we're like, oh boy, they're getting an attorney too. So we're like, okay, we'll get an attorney. And yeah, then we had an attorney on retainer and oh, what well, I know now it was. We, I finally doing due diligence, talking to everybody and trying to get what I need educationally for my son, we found a program which had a neurocognitive rehabilitation program, which was perfect. They would do physical therapy, occupational therapy. They even would have a, a tutor come in and yeah. he, so that it would basically, the was, you would send your child there for school as well as the therapies. And it would be, it could be four to five days a week. And that's what we wanted. And he was able to do it during a summertime and the, the school district was okay with that. But then when we saw we wanted to do it full time, that's when they brought in the attorney part of it. And then we were like, okay. Yeah. So now we're, now we're in like sixth grade. He was already still going to public school and then towards the end he wasn't. Seventh grade, after again, working with an attorney for a year and a half and like $60,000 later, he finally gets into this school that is at its district. He's happy. He goes there at the end of seventh grade and he's thriving. He's making friends. He's feeling comfortable and we're happy, and then COVID hits. Yeah, and then now it's like, oh shoot! Now you know, for my two boys, I have to figure that whole that thing out. But what I should say is, let me just backtrack. So that was in COVID was what February two thousand twenty, March two thousand twenty. Mm-hmm. A year before that, about April, um, two thousand nineteen, he gets diagnosed with epilepsy. Okay, and I, at this point, I'm like. Ah, okay, so he's having seizures, though, but it's not um, aggressive or active seizures. It's more like staring kinds of episodes, yeah. mm-hmm. and and then it was obviously scary as anything. But then they put him on medication. We had to adjust the medication so many times, and everybody's like, "Oh, you're it's it's going to level out. It's going to level out. It's going to be fine." But he could ne- it never adjusted itself. And then like I said, then then COVID hit, still taking the medication. And then now he's passing out during class. Or he's having an episode during class.
1: Yeah. Uh, and those meds are not good on kids cognitively anyway. I mean, they're they're hard. So if he's already having struggles, that's not great either. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But as a family, we got through COVID and, you know, we're feeling pretty good. July comes, his birthday's coming, and that's when everybody's going around in their cars and saying happy birthday to the kid outside. outside. Right, right, the drive-by yeah. birthday parties. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we were planning to do that. But I did notice, though, he started getting headaches and just some concerning things, but I just thought it was the medication. I just thought it's just a balance of this new medication. Mm-hmm. so the week before his birthday, my birthday, he's vomiting. He's it's concerning. We, we take him to the hospital. And at this point, he's still being followed by oncology. But maybe it's now I think it was like once a year now at this point, because it's already 10 years fast,
1: almost 10 years fast forward. Right. Right. And Those kids with ALL, as horrible as that treatment is to go through in general. They end up doing pretty well most of the time. Yeah. And treat the cancer it's very treatable, and they usually do pretty well. So that's why you would not really have a ton of worries about that anymore. And they would just see him yearly. That would be very normal. Right, right. I mean, Keith did
2: have a couple of other hiccups health-wise, like his iron levels went down. He had to have infusions. I mean, I can tell you all the whole medical history. But it wasn't until this time period where... It was concerning, but so we went in the week before and the neurologist who we changed neurologist because the neurologist we had was wonderful. But he said, because of Manny's case, he wants to his boss to, to be his primary. We're like, OK, so they did check them and he thought, OK, let's change the medication again. They didn't do an MRI. Yeah. We go home. My husband's like, Oh, see he seems a little bit better. It's gonna be his birthday, their birthday weekend, you think we can go home? And he's like, Yeah, sure. Go home. Manny's still not feeling a hundred percent. My gut's telling me something's up. It's now the day after his birthday, that the twentieth. And he can barely walk. I'm concerned. I call up his oncologist. I'm like, something's wrong. We gotta send to the can we go to the ER right away? because the neurologist, of course, said, oh, go to your primary in two weeks, whatever. The oncologist said, sure, get there. They do an MRI. They diagnose him with a tumor. And it it turns out after the pathology that it was glioblastoma. And they're shocked because they said for kids with leukemia who get some kind of brain cancer as a secondary cancer, it's usually rarely glioblastoma. So they were kind of shocked, and at this point, I'm going to now, in retrospect, again, it could have been all that toxicity that we talked about, and the radiation, had, right? Irradiation, the methotrexate, because his WBCs, like I said, was dropping, and it was he was having a you know, hard time recovering. They said it was probably related to that, yeah.
1: and. You know, I mean, this is the thing. You try to be very aggressive at fighting the cancer. It goes back a little bit even to my own mom. Like, my mom was on all this chemotherapy and all this treatment, and the only one that ever worked was one that, that slowly killed her heart. And she didn't die of cancer. She died of heart failure because you do the best you can, but there are just these costs associated with it. And it was... Really, at that point, it was pick, pick your poison. And they knew they went way above what they should have for her, that what was safe. Right. But it's what they felt like they had to do. And and in Manny's case, he's just so, so sensitive to the medications, far more so than the majority of people. Yeah. That that kind of normal dose for a regular person. Right. Would have been probably fine. But for his body, it wasn't fine. Right. Exactly. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad that you're articulating that because that's exactly
2: how we felt. Exactly how we felt. And so he gets diagnosed, and I'm I'm always a positive person, and my husband, for the most part, he comes along for the ride. He he stays positive too. But and my younger son now who's 13, he's been along for the ride too,
1: and has time, right? Yeah. I was thinking that as you were telling yeah. that original story, like he was 18 months old when his bro- brother first got diagnosed with cancer. He never knew life without cancer in your family. No, no. Even it- when Manny was in remission for that very long period of time, it was still there, though. It's still there. Oh, sure. Because mommy's going trekking
2: Manny to doctor's appointments or mo- mom's going to trekking Manny to therapy or to the new program and having to drop him off. I always obviously tried to love my children and teach my children the the same. But in the back of my head, there is that guilt that I felt like I'm not giving man, you know, Mellow 150% in terms of what I would give him for school wise or whatever it, it it was, you know. I've been blessed, Marcy. My kids are so resilient. Again, this was our life, and we made the best that we could. And, and Manny wasn't one of those kids who was scared. I, I mean, I shouldn't say that. He just did what mommy said. He did what mommy yeah. said, trusted me. And when he started becoming a teen, he started, he is not as, a, he still was my loving Manny. But again, he was not vocal,
1: He. this was his lifestyle. <laughs> this was his yeah. lifestyle. This is just the way life was, right? Yeah. How old was he when that brain tumor was diagnosed? Then? Because he 15. just his birthday? That's. Fifteenth birthday, he was just fifteen, and when it's
2: one thing I sh- I should say is before Manny got diagnosed, the first time, um, the one thing I told Manny was whatever this is, Manny, we need to fight. We're gonna fight, and we would always tell him throughout, you're just not. We're trying to get you to a hundred percent or one hundred fifty percent, and my husband would his his saying with the boys was always, um, oh gosh, I always get this wrong. Um, it's not the size of the fight in the dog. It's the fight in the wait. It's not the size of the fight
1: in the dog. It's the it's uh, not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Right? Exactly. Because F- exactly. you can be a small little dog, but if you've got a lot of fight, yeah, you can do,
2: yeah, yeah. We're yeah. small in stature, all of us. So that's also kind of why he. I think he he said that as well, but it really again held true to the fight we've had for years yeah and so that's kind of how we tried to keep that perspective as hard Whoever goes through this journey with kids with cancer it's hard it's heart-wrenching it's people get divorced from it and we just tried to really keep it together as much as possible but when Manny got diagnosed with the glioblastoma we didn't Look, we knew it was bad, but we still had hope. But then we ended up going to rehab again. This time to help him physical therapy and this and that, but also to where he was having treatment or the therapy. That's where the radiation therapy was happening, and it was a specific kind of radiation therapy that they wanted him to have for like thirty days. I think it's like was a proton. Yeah, yeah. I think yep. And they were actually skeptic. And doubt that Manny would be able to handle it. In fact, the, the radiation, the, he said foot. he has a patient who is a football player who could barely sit still for it. Because that's brutal, too. I mean, you're late. Manny had to lie on his back for, like, let's say, half hour, 35 minutes. yeah, Maybe even an hour. I can't remember anymore. But every single day of doing that. And then he had, they had to turn him around. Right, then he had to be on his stomach at some point and get the same kind of treatment every single day, and we were shocked that he was able to go through that, given what they were telling us. Like this football player guy couldn't even do it, and that's just the resilience.
1: Well, just I think it goes back to all that he had done since the age of three. I mean, the football player kid probably didn't have to do that when he exactly, exactly, yeah.
2: So he was feeling good. He was feeling good afterwards but then of course they have to the talk with you the whole medical staff they bring you all together in a room and they have this conversation i'm like what's going on what's going on and then, thank god my brother-in-law and his wife at the time was able to come and because me and my husband are not they were not medical yeah. people they were so they were able to advocate to us and kind of tr- help us to understand what was going on and basically where they were saying you don't really have many choices as far as treatment and they were talking about hospice or not was it before hospice it's uh i I don't know a little bit a little bit but it was more like i was like no let's why why can't he still continue therapies let's my husband would always say something and he boxes by the way he boxes on sundays with the boys so that was always their thing for years but the tr- or their trainer would always say something about if you get them if you get the body going, the mind will come or something to that effect. And so that was just like, well, let's just get let's just do the therapy. why Why are we talking about hospice? Let's do you do what we need to do. And then, of course, they were like, okay, then maybe if you want to get other referrals, we'll do it, and then we track that. I mean, timing was everything because of the diagnosis. So, but Manny was feeling good at this point. He was feeling good for a month or two. Again, it was cold. This was now his freshman year of school, and it was nice to be there for him and because I had to be, of course, close by for Manny while he's in school. So I was able to meet his classmates who are special needs kids, meet his teachers, and he, Manny was just having fun. Um, and it was just a beautiful time. I, I, I again, I think COVID was a blessing for our family, that we were able to spend so much time with each other. Um, That's true. For our family, anyway, it was still a horrible thing. But but now it's fast forward. They had done some genetic testing and they thought this one drug might be able to help. And he tried it. But at that and now we're like in December and, and it's not working. They tried to do, do this medical trial thing where he would have to wear some kind of kind of like an EEG cap, but then he would have to wear that for the rest of his life. You know, and it's like, all right, I guess we're going to have to do that for him too. And it was just little by little, my heart is breaking, seeing, not knowing that something like that, where he would have to wear that for the rest of his life, knowing that on the back of my mind, I, I know that it's inevitable. It's inevitable. And he was slowly starting to get weaker. And how do you go through that? I don't know. I
1: I still it was traumatizing, traumatizing. But well, I think it you get this realization too when they say he's going to have to wear this for the rest of his life. You then do realize, and that doesn't mean another forty or fifty years, does it? I mean, no. you know, then that yeah. they are talking short term. Oh yeah, because it, well, it was a trial.
2: It wasn't even. I think it was a trial. It was a trial for pediatrics. It was successful with or to a certain extent for adults, but not for peds. But he never got to that point anyway. Right. He was already not eligible for it. And at that point, Rudy's, my husband's family came in pretty much every single day. We're, we're talking, we're now in January of 2021, and they would come in every single day for the most part and help us. And, and now he's in, in hospice. And now he, And then what happens with cancer patients, they're not able to verbalize things. But yet, My smiling man—he just kept smiling. But the the one thing I will share that is again that that faith with God, right? This all circles back. Um, When he had got diagnosed, and again it's COVID, he asked me, "Mom." After, of course, I forgot he did have you know surgery; they had to take out the, the tumor. But shortly after that, he's like, "Mom, COVID." in heaven and i'm like oh man he is open in heaven it's beautiful in heaven but i then i'm thinking why would he ask me that? and then after the radiation and then again i'm spot me and my, my husband are and, and my younger son are always spot checking you know man wherever he is at this point he says oh, he doesn't fall i'm bringing him to the bathroom and you have to you have boys so you understand they're going doing their thing they're standing up and he turns around to me and he goes mom it's october i asked god
3: for a little bit more time and i i, I was shocked i was like oh that's that was glad man good, good but i was still shocked i didn't know what it was or maybe i was in denial I just thought yeah be great. So he passed it uh, in February thirteenth, 2021. So he did, he did was, get a little more time, didn't he? He did. He did. He was able for Christmas and you know, Manny was a big teenage ninja turtles. He was Spider-Man. He loved, he was looking forward to seeing the new Spider-Man movie and he had so many things that she was looking forward to, he wanted to be a race car driver with so many things. And unfortunately, or as my my younger son would put it, he's like, man, he's in in the best place now. He, you know, he gets to fly. Yeah. Maybe he has all his, everything he wants there. And I'm like, well, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, So, yeah.
1: He's not wanting for anything, but we still are, aren't we? That's the big struggle is that we have to, we, yeah. Um, Oh, I, yeah, that must have been interesting even to hear him ask that question. Is there a COVID in heaven? Because it does realize or make you know that he knew. knew I think God was talking to
2: him. I think he was talking to him or whispering in his ear or coming into him in dreams every so often. And now that I, I think about it too, there were times where before he got diagnosed and Manny wasn't very verbal because he was at at this point he's still at a third grade level math and a first grade level reading Mm -hmm. so and also his personality he doesn't say too much like he doesn't complain he didn't complain when he would take his medicine when he had to I mean my younger one complains more than he, he does he was still bright there was certain like Manny it still amazed me how he knows how to get to from our house to directions like from my house to like the city or my house to 45 minutes away to where the neurocognitive rehab oh mom we're going the wrong way why are you going this way mom or even just figuring out how to use the remote control for the tv where my younger son
3: 16 now has has trouble still right it's just a thing but yet he didn't he just didn't complain he did what we asked
2: him to do yeah so it's hard we've been grieving like we're, we're doing the right things we're going to support groups we have two support groups we are going we're all going to therapy we're trying to live our life without Manny and I mean of course it's hard I mean we're th- almost three years and it's still hard we're fucked like I say to people there. oh how are you I'm like
1: I'm okay I'm hanging I'm functional yeah so, right you're getting by but that's about all you can say right
2: Times where I do, I, I and I'm sure, I, and I speak, listening to your podcast, and, and so glad to hear those other stories, and and helping me to feel like I'm not crazy. There is joy that comes out every so often oh, that we yeah. can, but, but in general, it's it's that longing and the agony. Like I think I'd mentioned early on, that the longing and the agony, which turns into after being so functional in a day, it then it turns into anxiety and you can't sleep.
3: Yeah.
1: Right, you
2: know, and then you go back on the you Your feet, you're on the bottom of the roller coaster. You go
1: back up again. You, know, it's, it's hard, it's
3: exhausting.
1: It is exhausting. Grief is exhausting, and I don't think the average person knows just how tiring it is. You know, just oh, to, no. just to make it through, just to make it through one day at a time. It is just tiring. It is tiring to put on the mask. It is tiring to try to hide all day. And then that, you know we you know, talk the entire beginning, beginning about your safe place in the car. Huh? Hello? Hello, And yes. it's good to try to find some of those safe places. Yeah, I wish
2: I could say. I mean, my yeah, my bedroom is my is a safe place. But after the a long day, as soon as I hit the my head hits the bed, either I fall asleep right away or I'm cry. Yeah, and then I'm going to sleep. But if I don't turn on the We, we sleep a lot of times with the TV on most times ever since he passed, because it's just, and I'm usually watching like the great British baking show, something that's nice and pleasant, um, just to distract where my brain wants to go. And that's thinking about Manny and what we've gone through and, you know, it's, I'm, I'm better nowadays. I guess I don't know. Again, for my I'm more functional, I can fake it a little bit more. I can talk yep. about him a little bit more. And when and my husband is improving for sure. It's we grieve differently. Absolutely, my concern is my younger son. Even though that he doesn't, I mean, he talk. He has no problem with talking about Manny, and no problem. Like the other day, was just asked, "Mom, didn't do you think Manny would like this?" And he, he has no problem saying that, but. There's, and he has had outbursts before every so often, but I, I just wonder, I'm like,
1: what has this done to him? What's it going to be like when he's older? Yeah. I worry. I, I know. I mean, Peter just is applying to college and his col- what was his college essay about? I mean, his college yeah. essay was about losing his brother and how that changed him. And, uh, you know, it kind of broke my heart to read it in some ways. Um. But, yeah, you just don't know. You don't know. And going back to you and and being in bed and falling asleep or just crying, it, it's this past weekend my in-laws, or they go to Florida now every winter, and they came and stayed with us, and then we took them to the airport the next day. Well, my husband was on call, so because he was on call and he wasn't going to be there anyway, we gave them our bedroom. So with the nice bed in it, right, so that they could sleep in the nice bed. They had a bathroom right there. My husband wasn't going to be there. And my father-in-law was like, where are you going to sleep? And I said, well, I'm going to sleep in Andy's bed. And I hadn't slept in Andy's bed in a long time. I mean, I used to periodically at the beginning because um, Andy's bed's right behind me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right now. And, um, yeah, so I made sure that I was really tired so that I could fall right to sleep, which I did. But then, of course, I woke up at four or five o'clock in the morning, like went to the bathroom, and then I just couldn't sleep. Then I just cried. And here it's been five years, right? But I like I'm in that space, and I'm thinking about climbing in bed with him, reading bedtime stories, all of that stuff. Just kind of comes right back, even this many years later. Even knowing that, you know, he'd be away at college now and not be doing any of that kind of thing, it's still you're still there, and it just
3: Brings you right back. Yeah, I, I, I hear, you. I, I, I know, and you know, I.
2: I wish people would know. Yeah, you know, I feel the safe again talking about safety. I, I do feel the safest talking to people who have gone through you know, what we've gone through, and when I talk to my my really good friends who I still or I don't have a lot, but you know, I hang out with. I can't go there with them like I can't like I have to like fake, I have to fake it and sometimes they're, they're very sweet and they'll ask every so often or they'll listen to me for like two minutes but I, I just that's the exhausting part that is having
1: to do it for I mean I have just told you this story now that I didn't sleep after that I told my husband when he got home I told no one else right right I go to work on Monday I'm still really tired from not sleeping well I don't tell a soul that I didn't sleep because I was trying to sleep in my son's bed and I cried instead. I don't say that anymore. I don't even think I'd get the same amount of sympathy. It would just be like, well, it was just kind of weird. Right. And they'd probably think it was weird that I still have Andy's bed set up and I have never washed his sheets. Right. In five years. Cause I haven't. yeah, Cause I can't do that. Right. Right. It's, The calendar beside his bed is still up for August of 2018. I've never changed it. Never moved it. So I stared at that calendar of the Chelsea soccer team, his favorite soccer team, still on March 2018.
3: Other people wouldn't get that. No, no. Maybe they'll have sympathy, but then they won't feel the impact or
2: the emotion of it. That's the part that They'll never get, and the the hardest part is that pain of having a you had. Andy was fourteen. Yeah, right. fourteen. Manny was fifteen. That's that's somebody, and I and everybody again. Grief at a younger age or even an, old, an older age, it's, it's a different experience, but it's the same in one. In it's the same in the sense that they. They had goals, but we knew what those goals were. Right. We knew what they wanted to attain and we could see it about them. And yet it was, it's just tragic. It's just, and I, I, I think this was a recent one of your recent podcast, your guests in your recent podcast. She said something like, if I have to live like this, then this is how it's going to be. Right. Right. Remember who that was, but I just saw, listened to that like last week. Like I was, and I just shared that with Rudy and he took it. And I was like, oh, good. I hope this, it's like, You gotta wake up in the morning and you gotta acknowledge, okay, you're not here. And then you go Yeah. Okay, you're not here. Okay. And okay, this is my life. Right. This is my life. Yeah. But that's exhaust that's just work in itself too. Yeah. Yeah. It's work. And we're trying to we're trying, you know, again, this we're always thinking of things we wanna do to and and this is I'm so I don't think I could do a podcast, but I'm so glad that you're there. But you get, you, you do, you get to a point where you feel a little more comfortable and you want to do things in, in, in honor of your child and his memory. And people, some people have done some great things in our town, a tree at his grammar school that we get to, we go, he's only a mile away and um, Manny was on a baseball team. And so they put up a little plaque by the field where his special needs friends play there on, there's a league that they created specifically for special needs in, in our town and, A year before Manny passed, I finally gave in. I'm like, okay, you can join. And again, that was a sign of God too. But one of the things that me and my husband always talked about is there's gotta be more resources for kids when they're going through treatment, whether it's educationally, physically, swim lessons, martial art, whatever it is to get, like I was talking to you about, to get that body and that mind working. Yeah. It has that, it's just because it's like we went through so much for years to finally get him something and then he gets sick and he gets diagnosed and he doesn't get a chance to to really be a part of feeling comfortable who he was. And yeah, I mean, it's our goal. It's our hope. And if there's anybody listening who knows that there are, I would love to connect with them because yeah, Scott, there's just not enough. There's just not enough. I've seen, you know. There's, I used to say this. There's a lot of people who donate for like toys for tots or kids with cancer. They they all toys go and we were we benefited don't and it was it was wonderful. But as a parent, sometimes that's a lot too. Just toys in general and the get when they don't they play with it and then it's gone. But if we could, if there were more, I say it's like if you want to give a gift to a kid with cancer, if you want to give to besides the toys which help. Give them a gift cards to martial arts or a gift cards so they could take swim lessons or gift cards so to a tutor for a tutor. Or horseback riding or yeah. Riding or bike less bicycle lessons, something. Yeah. And it's not only just helping the kid, it's helping the parents. And maybe it's just me because I'm I don't know, fanatic is the right word, but just obsessed. I was obsessed in trying to get Manny the right tools for school. Even if it's like Um, a whiteboard that was kind of elevated so that when he wrote, he'd be able to see things and, you know, a little bit more clearer or if it was paper that had, you know, like uh, the elementary paper that had like the big lines and then like the dots in the middle, like whatever it took to get that child so that they could learn better because they weren't able to because of their deficiencies or the cognitive deficiencies, then Give it to them. Give it to them. You
1: know, with the toys. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So we had talked a little bit before we started recording about your faith and how important that has been in your grief journey. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned
2: this, but my husband and I were both raised Catholic. He was saved earlier before I met him and shortly a couple years later i was saved and we're not saints we go to church we have parents who are strong catholics and so we uh, raised our children catholic but i always knew at least they were getting a basis and now happy news so my husband just went to church recently and my 60 year old is saved and he accepted the lord in his heart it's again i don't know i'm hoping he gets it and he understands that. And I think he does. And I do know he does, but he's still a teenager. But I think that I'm just glad that because of the faith that we had early on in our lives, me and my husband, and we had that commonality between us, Mm -hmm. we knew that that's something we had to instill in our children. And we're so thankful that Manny had and Milo, really, but Manny especially had that before he passed, and he really, truly, he wasn't a complainer. He would go to church and occasionally complain, but I think it just helped him. It helped him to not be scared, and that's why he knew right. what he had to do. And then when he then again full circle, when he told
3: me that he asked God for more time, my gosh, yeah. Wow. I mean, that really goes to show that he really felt like
1: he could just have a conversation with God and ask him that. I mean, that's really awesome for a 15 year old kid to feel comfortable enough in his own faith to say, hey, God, I just want a little more time. Like, I'm not asking for he didn't even ask for him to cure him at that point. No. Right. Here's October, four months before he died. He didn't ask. God cure this whole thing nothing he just said hey can i have a little more time yeah and the thing is is he felt pretty sure that he was answered too because he told you yeah i hope i never forget you know as we
2: get older i did write it down i hope we never i never forget that I, n- I hope i never forget that moment ever and that it just it, it will help me in in life when I do talk to other people, whether it's my friends or new people that I'm meeting, I like to tell them about that. Just because it's just an amazing thing. And some people get scared, they're like, oh, they don't want to hear it. But I say it anyway. Yeah. Because they wonder too, where is my child? Where is my child? Yeah. I really do believe that as much as I there's still that doubt. There's still that little doubt. Because you just, because you, you, of course, you want him here, I want him here, the, that doubt. But then I know and have that faith that he's where, and the, obviously it's a testimonial because Manny said, he asked God, and then he's he with God. I hope he's the greeter in the gap. Like, he's, that's what I say to people. I'm like, Manny is the greeter, like the greeter in the gap. He brings people. He's like, oh, hello. You
3: know, like, hi, come to me, because that's the kind of kid he was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also before we had started recording, I had shared this with you that I've said this story before that when my mom was dying in the final minutes before she died, the only people that were with her were her hospice nurse and me. Um, And her last words were, I am certain, I'm certain she was looking in heaven because she was looking off into like the corner of the room. She hadn't said my name in two days because she really didn't know us anymore anymore. But she looked up there. She gets this look of absolute awe on her face and says, oh, Marcy. And I know she was looking in heaven. And I just know it. I know it in my heart. And I feel like God gave that to me because I was going to need it later. Because many, many years afterwards, you know, I was 21 years old. And I da- Andy died when I was 44 years old. So this was a long time ahead, but God knew that I was going to need to know that heaven was there and heaven was waiting. And the fact that I saw my mom look into heaven in the seconds before she died, I know now he's not with her. Mm -hmm. It just makes it so much more real to me. And my brother wasn't there and my dad wasn't there and none of them were there, but they didn't need to be. I needed to. So it's just a gift. And
2: I forgot to mention, I know I mentioned earlier. I, I do believe in again, many in particularly had been was put in our life, and things were put in place for a reason. And my dad had died twenty years ago, so he never got the chance to you know meet my kids. But ten years ago, I lost one of my best friends to cancer. And on her last days, We were in a room with a bunch of our friends, including her husband, and she was not verbal at the time, but she asked me to come over to her and she puts her hands on my head and stares at me. And I'm like, talk to like, and I didn't understand. I just couldn't. But now it makes sense that God was talking to her and telling her something, which prepared me for for
1: for this. Right. And now you think back to that and you think, oh, my word, this was all known. Right. This was all known that this was going to happen. And she was trying to somehow mentally get you a message. Yeah.
3: Yeah. About that. And it's a gift to you now. It's a gift. It's a gift. I have to say it's a gift. I can't. It's. I don't know if I didn't have those little like Godwinks or I, I forget what how you. Yeah. Godwinks. winks uh-huh. somehow. I don't know. I don't know what it would be like. I hope that, again, I get to see my man. Yeah. You will. You will. Um, but just hope that that's what maybe that's what God's prepared me for, right? Yeah. So I could see him again. Yeah. So we
1: both can. Our yeah. manny and our Andy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Heck, maybe they're hanging
3: out watching us right now. I hope so. They probably are. They're probably laughing. They're probably like those moms.
2: <laughs> I hope so, because uh, your Andy definitely sounds
3: like
1: my manny would would love her. <laughs> well and I wanna thank you too because as I was preparing for the do my two hundredth episode and you wrote in that email to me, that meant so much about just the fact that you were okay with me getting really emotional and not only were you okay with it, it was your favorite thing and
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that makes me feel like it's alright it's alright to let this out it's alright to be open and honest and raw and it's not going to be too scary so thank you Yeah. no thank you, thank you Marcy I appreciate it and thanks for sharing Manny with us today oh you're welcome, I love to talk about them <music>
0: Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can type Andy's Mom, one word, to the number 53555. This provides a link to GiveButter, which allows donations through PayPal, Venmo, Apple Pay, or credit cards. GiveButter will provide a receipt of your tax-deductible donation, or you can visit the donation page at andysmom.com donate. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 and can receive donations through Thrive and Financial and Benevity. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at or on the Instagram or Facebook Always Andy's Mom accounts. Sign up for the email list to get weekly episode links as well as pictures of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.